Hello, welcome to MonarchCast, a podcast where we're talking about queens for the moment. I'm Allie. I'm Claire. And today we're talking about maybe the quintessential queen of England and one of her rivals. So Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots. Elizabeth I. Yes. Obviously. I suppose I, suppose I should make that distinction. <laughs> Obviously, Elizabeth II is not dealing with Mary, Queen of Scots, I would hope. Yes, definitely not. I'm not aware of a wrinkle in the time-space continuum that would allow that to happen. Eh, you never know. Yeah. She might be dealing with, you know, portrayals on the movie screen, but anyway. So we don't think that we have any royal oops from last time? I don't think so. As always, if that's not true, please let us know. I think we were perfect. (laughs) Practically perfect. In every way. Okay, but you have some gossip for us? Well, it's really just a continuation of last week's gossip. As expected, there's just been a few more stories that came out in this avalanche of negative press. This one I thought was kind of interesting because now the new angle, of course, is that really it's not Megan and Kate. It's William and Harry, and they just aren't getting along and... Uh, apparently William sat Harry down when he first started dating Megan and said do you know what you're doing we don't know anything about this girl she could be a social climbing gold digger we don't know and Harry lost his mind and that's they've just haven't spoken since so do with that what you will um must have made a really awkward wedding where they sat next to each other for like 30 minutes I mean these stories are crazy because they're clearly coming from somewhere. But you know what I find interesting is that they all kind of have a little piece of something that is entirely believable. I have no doubt. I have no problem picturing that conversation. If that conversation didn't happen, then that'd be really irresponsible on everybody's part. Because just take a step back. They didn't know anything about her. All they knew about her was that she was, you know, kind of like a C-list actress who didn't seem to mind the spotlight or fame of course the first thing they thought was is she using Harry for fame and I think that would be a completely valid question and that's the kind of question that can't really be answered immediately but I also or think even that, ever really yeah but I also think that given the family dynamics and the family that they live in Harry would have been expecting that question so I don't think it would have led to some crazy falling out But it's kind of interesting. And then, of course, what I find interesting about all of this is that if you read these stories online, there's usually a comment section. And I don't read the Daily Mail or their comment sections because they're very vitriolic. But in some of the gossip websites, I like to read the comments can get a little crazy. And I think that people can't help but take sides and I'm always kind of surprised by that because it feels like a lot of people are just falling into the hands of the press and just giving them the clicks and giving them the money and that's why they continue to churn out these stories but I think it says a lot about people because I was thinking about it you know we don't really know anything about these people they have a public image but I think especially you could use Kate Middleton as an example her public persona I think is very carefully cultivated and we we don't know anything about her think you know we don't really know what she likes to do for fun we don't know who her friends are we don't know how she spends a lot of her time and I think that that's very much on purpose and it creates this blank slate that people can project things onto and so I think when you read these comment sections it's really interesting what people are grabbing onto I think 
if if you're coming out on the Sussex side or the Cambridge side, it has a lot to say about yourself personally and nothing about the people that we're talking about, which I think is just kind of a interesting study of our culture in the age of social media and all of that. But that's all I have there because, like I said, it's just a lot more of the same. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's been yet another opportunity for Thomas Markle to open his mouth, so... Yay. But yeah, no, I agree. The stories are strange in that this won't die. And then also the tone that that's being struck, you know, it's, I think a lot of it is backlash. You know, everybody's welcoming and excited because, you know, everybody loves a spectacle of a wedding and a baby and all of this. And now everybody gets to, you know, do an about face and everybody and the media loves to do that, obviously. But, you know, I'm reading a lot of pieces that have, unfortunately pretty racist undertones and you know even what they're saying about Kate is sexist and you know the fact that in all of this William and Harry have until now been mostly ignored and it's just cast as a cat fight between two women is just blood boiling um but maybe it'll die down the more they don't talk about it to the press but I think we're going to talk about today how that's nothing new although I did want (laughs) to bring up a little piece that I saw earlier because it made me laugh given that we were about to record this episode. There, I was kind of combing through trying to see if there's any like breaking royal news that I missed over the weekend and I was on people.com and they actually have a headline right now that says, why Elizabeth I died a virgin at the age of 69. Oh God. <laughs> and I was like, really? This is a headline in People magazine <laughs> right now? I thought that was funny given the timing, but also incredibly bizarre and really I was kind of skimming it it's more to do with the the movie that just came out um kind of explaining some of the backstory of the movie but I thought it was a funny headline I'm dying to know I guess I'll just have to pick up a copy of that I know right (laughs) I think you can probably tell us why you know as we go through this history but I just thought it was funny It it was such a bizarre headline Well, that is a really good segue because we are talking about Elizabeth I and her rivalry, for lack of a better word, with um, Mary, Queen of Scots. So once again, we have women versus women. Um, We've got Elizabeth in one corner and Mary in the other. And it's you mentioned this a little bit last time, but it's kind of an interesting situation because it is the first time in history, or at least in the Western European history, at least that we see two women vying for power. And as you mentioned last time, there aren't really any male alternatives. And it's, you know, the the bench for the heir to the throne of England is, it's a deep bench, but they're all women. So it's kind of interesting. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the context of Elizabeth's reign because of course last time we talked about Mary one of England and as we left off she had died in 1558 so that's where we will start tonight. Many of you remember from our series on Henry VIII Elizabeth was the daughter of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn and she inherited the throne of England upon the death of her sister, Mary I, in 1558. We talked a lot about her in the Henry VIII episodes, especially her early life, so I'm just going to do a brief summary. Um, But she 
essentially she's born in 1533 and she was immediately declared Henry's heir, uh, supplanting Mary, because if you remember, Mary was Henry's first daughter from his first marriage who had been delegitimized upon the divorce from Catherine and subsequent marriage to Anne Boleyn. But Elizabeth herself was delegitimized in 1536 when her mother was beheaded and Henry married Jane Seymour. So from the very beginning, she had a rocky life. It was ups and downs, and it remained that way really until she took the throne. So once her mother dies and she's declared illegitimate, she lives life as the Lady Elizabeth, essentially known as the King's Bastard, until she's restored to the succession under the Third Succession Act in 1543. Upon her father's death in 1547, she went to live in the household of her stepmother, Catherine Parr. Um, As a result, she became highly educated and she was one of the most educated women if not one of the most educated people in England at the time. And remind me the Third Succession Act is the one where they outlined that Edward would inherit but then if if he was unable it would then go to Mary and then Elizabeth. Yes so they weren't re-legitimized under that but they were restored to the succession so according to that law Elizabeth was third in line for the throne if after Henry died so after he dies Catherine Parr takes over her custody but that if you recall from the episode we did on Catherine Parr this doesn't really have a happy ending because there's this incident with Catherine's second husband Thomas Seymour It's a question of, was he molesting Elizabeth? Were they having some kind of affair? It's not really clear. She was very, very young at the time. But she's sent away. And then in 1553, Edward dies. And Mary takes the throne, as we discussed last week. The thing about life as Mary's heir is that it was really, really difficult. We talked a lot in the last episode about this question of religion, how Mary's a Catholic and she's trying to restore Catholicism to England. And she treats Elizabeth with suspicion because Elizabeth is, of course, a Protestant. And Mary's not very happy about having a Protestant heir. Um, So she's always suspicious of Elizabeth. There was uh, Wyatt's Rebellion in which Elizabeth's role isn't really clear. Um, At one point, she had Elizabeth imprisoned in the Tower of London upon suspicion of plotting against her. And she was made to convert to Catholicism, although this was really a public conversion and Elizabeth didn't privately convert. Although she did like going to Mass and apparently she really liked all of the pomp and circumstance of the Catholic ceremonies and she retained that throughout her life. I think what we'll see is when it comes to religion, Elizabeth isn't really diehard fanatical one way or the other. She enjoys it to a certain extent but it doesn't rule her life the way it ruled Edward and Mary, which is probably healthy, I think, for the monarch. She's happy enough to govern the Church of England, but she's not going to spend hours and hours um, opining on what she feels is the correct interpretation of the theology. She's not a scholar like her father. Not in <laughs> I mean, matters she's of definitely religion. smart, but not a religious scholar. Exactly. Um, do you think that their relationship is a little bit inherited from the rivalry of their mothers as well. Like, I th- I thought as children, you know, they were, I mean, their ages are so far apart, right? 
And so they could probably never be close. But also I wonder if Mary's suspicion of Elizabeth usurping her in some way was also inherited from this idea where Elizabeth's mother took Mary's mother's place. Well, it's kind of interesting because Mary definitely resented Elizabeth at the beginning. But then you have to remember Elizabeth wasn't even three when her own mother is killed. And Mary served in her nursery, and then later they shared a household. And, like, Mary kind of raised Elizabeth at the beginning, at least. And in some ways, she was almost a surrogate daughter. So I think that their relationship was certainly very fraught. And I think you have a situation where Mary wants to trust Elizabeth. She wants to just love her like a sister, but unfortunately their roles, it's too, it's too politically charged. She, neither one of them have that luxury. So I think that they had a really complex relationship, which is, you know, kind of interesting because, again, we can only really guess and right. go by what other people have told us in um, history. But that's, you know, I think at this point in time, Mary's kind of resigned herself to the fact that Elizabeth is going to be her heir, especially as we talked about, she's not able to have her own children. Her marriage is kind of falling apart. I think by the end, she just kind of accepted it as an inevitability. And luckily for Elizabeth in that respect, Mary's reign was only five years long. So when Mary dies, she takes the throne. And unlike when Mary ascended to the throne, there's no resistance. There's no rebellion everyone's okay with it she's she's 25 years old she's young she's beautiful they have a vibrant queen in place it's everyone's just really excited there's you know there's no one else they'd rather see and I think for a lot of people it was kind of like okay we're done with this whole Catholic thing we can get a Protestant on the throne again keep the Reformation going fantastic um so Elizabeth is crowned in 1559 and you know from the very beginning though just given this time in history the questions that haunted mary's reign the religion the succession they immediately start to haunt hers as well so from the perspective of a religion it's clear that elizabeth is going to embrace the protestant faith Uh, she's raised as a protestant you know if you remember anne boleyn her mother is kind of one of the early champions of this reform movement in england and She's raised in the Church of England. The whole point of marrying her mother was Henry started a new church. So she's definitely going to come at this from a Protestant perspective. Her claim is also stronger under the Protestant church law because, unfortunately, under both the Catholic church law and the Protestant church law, she's not a legitimate child, but Mm. she's more illegitimate under Catholic law. So Protestantism is the way to go interesting idea that she is more inclined towards protestantism much like her brother because for both of them their claim only exists under the protestant law right if they well not for not for, edward was a little different because remember no because in any case well i guess by the time edward is born catherine is dead but when henry married jane seymour anne boleyn and catherine of aragon were dead so that's why he considered her his first lawful wife Okay, that's a good point. But I also that's yeah. But I also think that for both of them Catholicism would be sort of a repudiation of their father in a way that Edward could maybe get away with but wouldn't serve Elizabeth, right? Like it's probably we talked about last week why Mary was as staunchly Catholic as she was because it was her lifeline essentially to legitimacy. Yeah, and 
and so in Mary's in Mary's case, it's Catholicism, and in Elizabeth's case, it's Protestantism. Exactly, and it's so interesting how the timing. I think of all of this. Really, I mean, religion, as we've talked about from Henry VIII on, is this deciding factor for a long time, you know, even now towards the claim to the throne. But I think Elizabeth and Mary really were in the thick of it where they could really make no decisions without considering the religion. Yeah, it definitely, it's the elephant in the room and it's not, it's not going away. Um, the thing about Elizabeth, though, is I think you know, she's just lived through Mary's reign. She's just watched Bloody Mary impose her rule. So she takes a little bit of a different approach. She's not a fanatic by any means. She does reinstate the Church of England and the Protestant faith as the official religion, but all she really wants is for people to just kind of pay lip service to that. She doesn't really care what they do in their own homes. So she's she's not investigating how people worship in private she doesn't really care she just wants everyone to publicly come together under one religion that's all she really cares about for the country's unity but beyond that do whatever you want at home the really sticky issue in her reign is the question of marriage it's just that is the bigger issue and from the beginning it's the big issue because from the beginning, Elizabeth demonstrates a reluctance to marry. When she took the throne at 25, she was immediately expected to choose a husband and produce an heir, just like her sister before her. However, just like her sister before her, Elizabeth has just witnessed the anxiety that was caused by Mary's marriage, and she also knew that if she married, she risked being overshadowed by a power-hungry husband. So remember, when Mary married Philip everyone was freaking out because they they didn't know how is this going to work we have a woman on the throne what do we do with her husband and elizabeth knows that that problem isn't going to go away when she marries so over the years she entertained several suitors but she never picked one she never she never got married at all and there's several theories as to why so the first question is did Thomas Seymour actually molest her or harm her and just put her off men in general? Um, the answer there is probably not. It's, you know, we'll talk about this question of virginity, but it's pretty clear that she had at least one lover in her life. So chances are it's not that she hated men. That's the second issue. If she couldn't have the man she wanted, maybe she just wanted no man at all. So... This is in reference to a man called Robert Dudley, and he is the son of John Dudley, who we talked about last week, um, and that was the Duke of Northumberland who tried to put Jane Grey on the throne. So Robert, his son, is Elizabeth's favorite, and he's been her favorite since her childhood. Rumors swirled that she would have married him if she could have, but it was impossible, and there's several reasons why for this. The first is that for a long time, he was already married. Uh, so obviously, he can't put his wife aside for Elizabeth. No one will allow that. It would be completely scandalous. It's just not a legitimate way to start a marriage in many people's eyes. And then his wife died, but the circumstances surrounding her death were really suspicious and scandalous, and rumors started to spread that he had killed her so that he could marry Elizabeth because... 
it's probable in you know now we know just based on descriptions of what was going on that she probably had breast cancer or something like that Mm. but she didn't die from that she died from a fall down a flight of stairs so the rumor at the time is that he of course had hired someone to push her down the stairs he wasn't at home when it happened but regardless it was suspicious enough that it kind of put a damper on any potential marriage that they might have but for a long time Elizabeth entertained the possibility of marrying him it just it became very clear that it wasn't a politically advantageous idea there's also the question of the Dudley family you know we're not that far removed from the big scandal and his family had been disgraced his father was beheaded for treason it doesn't really look that good for the Queen of England to marry one of them And then there's also just the issue of the nobles aren't going to accept him. And this is the same issue that Mary had. This is what we talked about last time. If she picks an Englishman to marry, then she's playing favorites with the noble families. And all of the other families who don't get picked are going to be really angry. And if there was a consensus... that that's not how it worked for Henry. Well, but again, a queen consort isn't going to have the same power as a king consort at this time because the concept of a king consort doesn't really exist king is always higher than queen so if you're working on the theory that whoever she marries is going to be the king of england it's a real problem and those are just the questions that arise if she marries somebody from england because there were certainly other suitors from other countries involved and the most Notable of them included Philip, Mary's husband. So after Mary died, Philip thinks, hey, you know what? I don't really want to let go of this alliance with England. I, I've i been controlling England as the king through my marriage. Maybe I'll just marry the next one. Elizabeth was not having that. She was polite. She kind of let him down gently, but she let him know we aren't getting married. And that relationship eventually soured significantly to the point where he sends an armada to English shores and she handily defeats him so that takes care of the span the Spanish alliance is no more at this point we've also got Eric the 14th of Sweden I think he was a Catholic I'm not sure either way she never seriously considered his hand in marriage as anything she would seriously accept there's the Archduke Charles of Austria There's Henry, the Duke of Anjou, and then there's later his brother Francis, then the Duke of Anjou. So that last one, apparently, he came into the picture when she was nearing 50, and she did seriously consider it, because it would have been her last chance for marriage. But ultimately, she turns him down. At that point, they know it's not going to happen. For whatever reason, she doesn't marry any of these guys. And then you start to see this cult of the Virgin Queen. So that's a really handy political device. So Parliament tolerates this for a while. So what would be the rationale for Frances at that point? If she's nearing 50, there's no way she's going to produce a child. I think it's just the idea of like that possibility is still there. And again, I don't, you know, I don't know her personal situation. It's not unheard of for a woman to have a baby in her late 40s. Um, For the time, it certainly would have been unusual. 
But I think at that point, she's just at that point politically going through the motions of entertaining this Mm. idea of marriage. But everyone knows it's not going to happen. And while all of this is taking place, she's promoting this cult of virginity, which is really important. It it serves a political purpose because it kind of elevates her to something more than a queen. But it also serves the religious purpose because again we have this idea of the catholicism versus protestantism and i read a really interesting take on this in that you know in the catholic faith the worship of the virgin mary is a big cornerstone of that but the whole idea of protestantism is that you aren't worshiping these i don't want to say false idols but these icons you know this imagery it's just supposed to be about stripping it down to bare bones worship of god and you're supposed to take away all of the ceremony and the extras that are viewed as sinful and so if you're replacing this worship of the virgin mary well you need another virgin enter queen elizabeth the virgin queen so for the protestants she was held up like an icon just like mary in the catholic church But like I said, that serves a really good political purpose. And it also kind of serves to protect her because as a woman, she's viewed as inherently weak and she needs a man to step in and strengthen her rule. But if you instead turn this into a positive that the people can rally around and hold up as an iconic image then why not go in that direction? And then you don't have to cede any power to a man. You don't have to risk your life in childbirth. I don't know. Maybe that's the better option. For a while, that was fine. Everybody was happy. But the issue really came to a head in 1563 because in 1563, Elizabeth almost died from smallpox. And the pox. The pox, yes. And Parliament was rightfully worried that Elizabeth's death would result in a civil war if she did not name an heir. And she refused to name an heir. She was on her deathbed and she wouldn't name an heir. So after this episode, everyone knows she's not going to marry and produce an heir. So they're trying to figure out, well, what do we do? Because we've just been through a succession crisis. We don't want to do that again. So as you and I like to say... History really is just a case of sliding doors. And behind door number one, there's Mary, Queen of Scots. So why didn't she name an heir? Because she thought there was still a chance she would live. And then she is there the possibility that if she names an heir when she's recovered and better, if she survives smallpox, that she's diminished her own power and handed it to someone else? Yeah, she was afraid if she named an heir while she was still alive that would serve as a rallying point to depose Mm. her and put that person in power because look what happened with mary she watched all of that happen she was used as a rallying focus yeah but unfortunately (laughs) there's always there's always someone better according to depending on who you're talking to and for a lot of people in europe that was mary queen of scots so mary was Elizabeth's rival for the throne of England there's no question and that's a result of birth and circumstance she was the granddaughter of Margaret Tudor 
and therefore she herself had a very strong claim to the English throne in addition to her claim to the Scottish throne. So once again, we're going to pause for the family tree. So Mary's father was James V, and he was the King of Scotland, son of Margaret Tudor and James IV of Scotland. Now, the Scots have a really bad habit of dying with babies ready to take the throne. (laughs) And this is no different. So James IV was killed on the battlefield by Henry's troops. You may remember, this is when Henry went to France, left Catherine in charge, the Scots started making trouble, (laughs) so she kicked his butt, and he actually was killed in battle, and I think she wanted to send his head to Henry, and they had to talk her out of it. Yeah. So... Catherine was definitely Isabella's daughter. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So James V inherited the throne at only a year old. And he lives to the age of 30, but he died from some kind of unspecified illness while he's on a military campaign. And he leaves Mary to inherit the throne at the tender age of six days. Well, you know those days of experience will serve her well yes and i can't say for certain that she's the youngest monarch to take the throne that we are ever going to talk about but she was certainly quite young um and she's his only legitimate child so there's no question that she's she's like naps that's the way to rule oh i mean (laughs) yeah she i mean her mother was still recovering from the birth when she found out her husband her husband had died So Mary, as a result of taking the throne at such a young age, uh, ruled Scotland from 1542 to 1567, which was about 25 years. Although her actual reign was much shorter because a lot of that was covered by a regency. But, um, you know, and you may remember the reason why we're going to talk about Mary in context of the British throne is the idea of the succession under Henry's will. So you may remember that Henry skipped over the heirs of margaret tudor because margaret had married james of scotland and he didn't want the scottish or the catholics to rule the throne but so mary is specifically the person that he's talking about yes um but she does have a claim to the throne if you follow the rules as we discussed last time if anything she had a better claim than jane gray and if you're talking about that question of legitimacy then she has a better claim than Elizabeth. So speaking of legitimacy, as I said, she's the only legitimate child of James. So he had some sons from a mistress, but um, Mary's mother was his second wife, and she's the only legitimate child to survive infancy. So from the beginning, she's a sought-after prize. Um the regency of her regency was a mess from the beginning and Henry VIII sees an opportunity to rule Scotland and he wants her for his son Edward because he thinks this is my chance if I can marry her to my son then we can control the crown of Scotland and Scotland won't be a problem anymore but now is that controlling the crown in like they're ruling it as two separate kingdoms or is this something where you know we talked about Anne being the first queen of Great Britain would this have then actually well it would be it would have case. functioned kind of like when James takes the throne of England okay. he's the king of Scotland and then he becomes the king of England but that's why there was that need for the acts of union is that you really have one sovereign wearing two crowns and so the right. acts of union made it into one crown um, okay And the actual deal that they were trying to put in place was that Edward and Mary would get married, 
and then if they didn't have any heirs then the marriage would be dissolved and the crown would go back to Mary. So it wasn't like they were, it was a hostile takeover, but, but Henry wants Mary for Edward. And the problem is that this regency in Scotland is caught up between the warring factions of Catholic and Protestant. You don't say. No. Scotland was not immune to the Reformation. Um, so on one side, on the Protestant side, there's the Earl of Arran, and he's up against the Catholic Cardinal Beaton, and they're fighting over who's going to be in charge. Mary's caught in the middle, and she's only a baby, so there's not really anything she can do about it. Her mother, the only advantage her mother had was that Mary was a baby, and she had her with her. <laughs> so her mother's kind of caught in the middle, too. And Henry tries to take advantage of this, and it, they eventually land on the Treaty of Greenwich, which is where they agree that Edward and Mary would join the crowns. But unfortunately, that's a treaty that Henry makes with the Earl of Arran. And once the Catholic faction regains power, then they start to promote this pro-Catholic French union. Um, And that goes back to the idea of renewing what's called the Auld Alliance. And that was the Scottish and French alliance that dates back to 1295 which is when Scotland and France teamed up against England. Henry begins what's known as the Rough Wooing, which is essentially an invasion to Scotland to try to force the marriage that he wants. Um, But the French quickly propose their own marriage alliance and Mary is betrothed to the Dauphin of France. And the the Dauphin? Dauphin, yeah. Uh, Sorry, my pronunciation was wrong. Um, and at the age of five, she's shipped off to France. So, it's the plot of Rain. Yes, I was just gonna say if you if you're curious about this, there's a TV show. You can I mean, watch. I wouldn't use that show for historical accuracy. No, no, not in the costumes. I haven't. I've never. I've never watched it, but I think that there's a plot about like werewolves outside the castle or something. So yeah, I've watched a couple seasons. It's it's entertaining, but it's. It's more uh, like historical fiction. But they get the broad strokes. I don't know. Like Mary was in France and then (laughs) she went back to Scotland. Broad strokes. (laughs) Very broad strokes. Anne of Green Gables is Catherine de' Medici. Yes. Actually, she's the best part about that whole show. I never understood the term um, chewing through scenery. (laughs) until, And I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Until I watched her. She's just she's really, really good in that show. But Mary thrives in the French court, and by all accounts, she really enjoyed her life there. You know, she was raised with her future husband, so they'd certainly had some affection. I don't know what kind of relationship that took, but she was really upset when he died. So, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but in 1558, so around the age of... um, I want to say like 10 maybe she and uh francis are married maybe she was like 15 i don't know marriageable age don't quote me on that but she and francis 1542 is the year she's born and then 1558 so she's 16 okay thank you thank you for that quick math um (laughs) oh i was thinking the age of 10 was when she was supposed to marry edward that's what it was but she and francis get married and henry actually henry the second of france 
declares them king and queen of England. So this is this is a problem. Um, Obviously. But think about, remember what year we're in. This is 1558. So this is the same year that Mary of England dies. And there's no Catholic to follow her. And there's, in the eyes of Catholic Europe, no legitimate heir to follow her. So Mary is the rightful heir. Again, if we're going back to this idea of legitimacy and we're coupling it with the idea of which religion is legitimate, then Mary's it. She's the best choice. And so then the next year, Henry dies and the two become king and queen of France. Mary's only a teenager, but she's already representing a great you should really, threat Sorry, to we should clarify who we're talking about because there's a lot of Marys and a lot of Henrys going on. That's Henry II of France dies. Yep. Henry, yeah. Hen- yes. Henry II of France died. And then Mary and Francis, her husband, become king and queen of France. So as I was saying, she's only a teenager, but Elizabeth already has grave reasons to be afraid because she's been declared the queen of england she's the queen of france that's a lot of power coming after elizabeth who a lot of europe is saying is an illegitimate queen unfortunately for mary in 1560 so only a couple years later francis her husband the king of france dies and mary is left a widow um his mother catherine de medici was still alive and she didn't particularly care for Mary and she certainly doesn't want Mary getting any ideas about marrying Francis's younger brother Charles because that was an idea that had been floated and Catherine's just not into the idea she's done with Mary she's done with this Scottish problem she essentially says okay you can go back home so Mary goes home to Scotland and she finally arrives on August 19th 1561 to take up her throne unfortunately scotland has changed significantly in the intervening years since mary was last there Um, as we mentioned briefly the reformation has arrived and mary's catholicism is viewed with suspicion her half-brother is was serving as her regent and he's the earl of murray i think it's it looks it's spelled moray but i think it's pronounced murray so it's not like the eel Yes, I believe Is that that's how you pronounce how you the eel, like a Murray eel. I don't know. I always thought it was a moray eel. So did I. That's literally my only frame of reference yeah. for that word. We're which just is... gonna call him the Earl of Murray because that's what they called him in this horrible movie that I watched called Gunpowder, Treason, and Plot. Great name. Which covers a lot of these events in a very um, sensationalized way, but that's how they pronounced his name. Um, he's, like I said, her half-brother. He was serving as her regent, and he's staunchly Protestant. She's also viewed as being too French because she's spent her entire life in another country, and she's got a French accent. She comes home claiming to be a Scottish queen. She sounds and acts nothing like the Scots. So from the beginning, Mary is forced to compromise. She has to keep things the way they are, The Catholics are disappointed that she doesn't oust the Protestants and take a stronger stand, and the Protestants just don't trust her. And what's also interesting about this is that from the very beginning, from the moment she sets foot on Scottish soil, Mary starts working the angle of Elizabeth and wanting to establish herself as Elizabeth's heir. 
So she sends an ambassador to England to get Elizabeth to proclaim her as her heir. But of course, Elizabeth is stubborn and refuses to do this. She's also still trying to assess how much of a threat Mary poses to her. At this point, Elizabeth and Mary are both seated on their respective thrones, and this begins their rivalry because Mary feels like she has a right to Elizabeth's throne. Elizabeth doesn't agree, but she's not sure what Mary's going to do about it. Um, Now, is this because if Mary had come back to a Scotland that was more welcoming and more Catholic she wouldn't have felt the need for another throne? Like, is she going after Elizabeth's throne because the Scottish one is so precarious? No, she... You have to remember, Elizabeth is a lot older than Mary. She's maybe 10 years older than her. 10 or 15. She's older than her, and she doesn't have an heir. And Mary doesn't want to kick Elizabeth off her throne, but she wants Elizabeth to name her as her heir because Mary thinks Mm. she's entitled to the throne of England. And she's going to recognize that Elizabeth is currently sitting on it. But if something happens to Elizabeth, Mary wants that throne. Okay. And, and again, remember, this, this is just how she was raised. She had the King of France declaring her as the Queen of England. She, she feels like it's hers. Yeah. Elizabeth and Mary are also very, very different people. Um, their approaches to religion, marriage, how to handle their respective successions, um, What's interesting about that, and we'll talk about some of these differences, but unfortunately for Mary, she just never gets a handle on the power that Elizabeth has. And she makes a lot of miscalculations and really, really bad decisions, whereas Elizabeth is very clever and she's always seems to be kind of one step ahead. Again, she, you know, she grew up in Henry's court. Her fortunes rose and fall, you know, every day different story Elizabeth is always prepared and ultimately that's why she prevails so the first thing Mary does when she comes back and this is one of the first ways that they're different is we talked about when Elizabeth took her throne she's expected to get a husband and she pushes back against that Mary is determined to get another husband because she's already you know she's already been married once And she knows that her best opportunity to retain her throne is to marry and secure the succession. This gets kind of interesting. So Elizabeth knows that this is going to happen. And of course, any child of Mary's is also going to be a threat to Elizabeth. So the best thing Elizabeth can do is to try to control the situation. So she actually proposes that Mary get married to Robert Dudley, which is a little preposterous if we accept the premise that this is Elizabeth's own lover. And at this point, it's kind of an open secret. It wasn't, it wasn't really some, um, you know, secret that nobody knew about. Everybody knew. Um, So this doesn't go anywhere. There are never secrets at court. Yeah, there are no secrets. And this doesn't go anywhere. Mary, even Mary's aware, she's not going to take Elizabeth's sloppy seconds. And she knows what Elizabeth is trying to do. And also, Robert Dudley doesn't want to marry Mary. He, you know, Elizabeth never asked either one of them, hey, how do you feel about this? She just proposes this, and of course, it's a bad idea. So that kind of fizzles out. What does happen is that in 1565, Mary gets married to Henry Stuart Lord Darnley. So he is actually her cousin. 
and he's their first cousin so they're both catholic they really should have gotten a papal dispensation but they didn't they forged ahead whatever it's fine nobody really seems those never seem to matter that. anyway yeah <laughs> um on paper he's actually a really good match for her he's um a shared so they have a shared grandmother in margaret tudor so when james the fourth died margaret tudor remarried and she had um at least one more child but his mother is her daughter margaret douglas so he's he's got a pretty good claim to the english throne and he's also got a really good connection to the scottish throne because on his father's side he has a connection to the hamiltons which was another family that um at one point sat on the scottish throne so he's really well connected um unfortunately the marriage is a complete disaster from the beginning there's shades of mary and philip here um elizabeth is actually really threatened by this match because both had such strong claims to the english throne so mary's claim we just talked about it's very strong darnley's is also very strong um any child that they have is going to be a severe threat to elizabeth and what's interesting about that is that elizabeth is the one that sent darnley to scotland but she never expected that it would go anywhere she just kind of I think she sent him there thinking like, see, Mary, I'm trying to help you, not expecting that they would get married. And part of that is because Darnley was a British subject, so he needed her permission to get married. And he actually married Mary without her permission, which infuriated her. And then Elizabeth's like, I've made a huge mistake. Yes. (laughs) It was Mary's bigger mistake, but elizabeth regretted sending him there in the first place the other issue is that the scottish lords are angry that mary has married another catholic um, and the protestants feel really threatened and at this time most of the scottish lords are protestant mary's brother the earl of murray leads a rebellion in response although it doesn't really go anywhere this is actually called the chase about raid they literally just chased each other over the scottish countryside and never actually had a battle so it's it's just everyone's unhappy but no one's really willing to do much about it but they're expressing their displeasure for certain and then the third thing is darnley is just the worst he is just a terrible person so from the beginning he he's very ambitious and he wanted the crown matrimonial which would have made him king and mary refused to give it to him um in response he just drinks all the time he's constantly womanizing and then he starts focusing on her friend and private secretary david rizzio and is jealous of his close friendship with mary even though they weren't lovers or anything like that um and he darnley has rizzio murdered their marriage never recovers after this um even though mary was pregnant with their son at the time in fact mary was held at gunpoint he was dragged out of the room and stabbed so it was quite a violent death. And Mary knows wow. Mary knows that this is Darnley's doing. It's um, like Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's, it's those Scots. Don't mess with them. Um, and then in June of that year, Mary gives birth to her son James. Um, but by then, she's done with Darnley. So she basically, in that, and actually in that movie that I watched, it was kind of funny, that happens. And then they... Um, basically keep him alive so that he can acknowledge his son to legitimize him and then she says okay i'm done with you 
which is kind of how it happened in real life. She's done with him. In fact, by November of the same year that she gives birth, 1566, the idea of a divorce is being openly discussed. Um, Unfortunately, they're Catholics, so it's unlikely this is going to actually happen, but something needed to be done. And this is where things get weird for lack of a better word. So in February of 1567, Darnley is killed. There's no question he was murdered. Um, In fact, what happens is he's staying at a house in Edinburgh and um, somebody had packed the cellar full of gunpowder and caused an explosion in the house. Although that's not what killed him. He was found in the garden and it was very clear that he had been strangled so well if one method doesn't work whoever killed him was quite thorough they just they there was no question he was murdered so maybe the explosion went off at the wrong time and he was out for a stroll in the garden yeah no one's really sure because the reason he was there to begin with is he was convalescing from some kind of illness it was depending on your source it was either smallpox or syphilis both of which sound terrible so he's he's there you know recovering and actually mary had visited him earlier that day and then she left to attend a wedding of one of her servants so that's a question is was that just coincidence that she happened to leave or did she know it was going to happen um her part in this is very very murky because everybody knew that she wanted to get rid of him and then they looked like they were reconciling so that's a question was she putting on a show nobody really knows um what is probably true is that the earl of bothwell is the culprit he immediately comes under suspicion so Um, It's pretty clear, everybody agrees, most likely he orchestrated this plot. Um, Although he was tried for the crime and acquitted due to lack of evidence. And who was the Earl of Bothwell? So he was a Scottish nobleman. And by the time all of this starts taking place, he had become one of Mary's closest advisors. Um, Prior to Darnley's murder, there was no suggestion at all that they were involved in any kind of adulterous relationship but after Darnley dies the situation gets a little less clear Um, this is not helped by the fact that Mary had made no secret of her disdain for Darnley so this is where things get really strange and mysterious and people are still arguing about what exactly happened so All of this takes place in February of 1567. And then in April, Mary went to Stirling Castle to visit her son James. And she's on her way back to Edinburgh and she's abducted by Bothwell and taken to Dunbar Castle. So in some versions of this story, she's a willing participant. Um, They're just making it look like he took her against her will. In other versions, she's kidnapped. He takes her to the castle and rapes her and this is like a telenovela yes it is and then later forces her to marry him and so it's impossible to know what happened Um, and mary's actions don't help discern what happened so modern historians tend to take the view that it was probably against her will 
really because it would have been so monumentally stupid for her to marry him of her own accord. Although Mary hasn't exactly demonstrated sound judgment in that area. But this is what happened. So on May 15th, Bothwell and Mary are married in a Protestant ceremony. And he had only divorced his wife 12 days earlier. Um, This is another immediate disastrous marriage. The Catholics don't recognize his divorce, nor the Protestant ceremony. Everyone is shocked that Mary has married her husband's accused murderer. Why would she do this? Um, Basically, it ends with 26 of the lords rising up against them. Bothwell flees into exile. Mary is taken to Edinburgh, and she miscarries twins. Um, Who's twins? His. Bothwell's? Bothwell's. Wait, but they've only been together since April. Well, yeah, but we're already into... we're At this point, we're already into the summer. Okay. They're married in May. In April is when he takes her. Then they get married in May, and this is like June or July, and sorry, I didn't write down the date. Um, she abdicates her throne in favor of her son, and she's imprisoned. So it's kind of crazy because a lot of people take the view that, well, of course this wasn't her choice because she had to have known that all of this would happen. And then there are some people that say, well, she was so desperate to get rid of Darnley, then he was acquitted of the murder, and they were having an adulterous affair, and she was in on it from the beginning, so then of course, of course they got married. And then they say, well, even if he raped her, why would she marry him? Was she just trying to protect her honor? Like, that's a little strange. So maybe she knew she was pregnant. Maybe. And that's the thing. It's it's just so strange. Like a queen to have children out of wedlock would probably be even bigger of a scandal. Yes. And apparently right after they got married, she was like practically suicidal. So I would tend to... (laughs) lean towards the fact that this isn't really something that she wanted and she just tried to make the best of it but this the circumstances are just so strange and this is like still one of I mean this is a huge mystery nobody nobody knows um and it doesn't help with uh what happened later because um in 1568 Mary escapes and she goes to England she thinks I'll go to England Elizabeth will help me regain my throne And then I can resolve the situation in Scotland. But unfortunately, Mary never asks Elizabeth if Elizabeth is cool with this. So even though Mary hoped that Elizabeth would help her, Elizabeth is not inclined to help her out. She keeps Mary under house arrest while she, quote, looks into the matter. Um, You know, she tries to figure out, well, what happened? Why did she abdicate? Why did she marry this guy? Is is Mary responsible for Darnley's death um you know what's what's going on here so and that's kind of interesting um Elizabeth really the abdication really bothered her because Elizabeth genuinely believes in the divine right of kings or in this case queens um but it's impossible to to deny that this whole situation is swinging in Elizabeth's favor She's far less threatened by Mary's infant son than she is by a fully grown woman capable of mustering an army. But she does kind of make a show of helping Mary out. So the first thing she does is she kind of holds a sort of trial. Um, 
and what they do is they just she summons the Earl of Murray to come basically explain what's going on and she gives Mary a chance to defend herself but it's impossible to determine Mary's guilt because what they do is the Earl of Murray brings all these letters with him that are called the and collectively they're known as the casket letters and apparently they are letters from Mary to Bothwell expressing her love for him there's poems but they're all kind of none of them are signed um Mary says that her handwriting has been forged they're not written in a way that you would expect someone of her education to write grammatically um, especially in French but again they can't definitively say one way or the other so the Earl of Murray just kind of goes home and Elizabeth stays and um, Elizabeth keeps Mary in England so they don't really resolve the issue so what happens is in 1569, Mary gets moved to the custody of the Earl of Shrewsbury. So Elizabeth, at this point, has decided Mary can stay in Scotland. Um, but she's not going to let her roam. You mean in England? I'm sorry, in England. Thank you. But she's not going to let her roam freely around England. Um, but she's torn about keeping her as a prisoner. So again, there's no, there's no right answer here. Elizabeth is kind of stuck you know she's really mad at Mary for coming to England because she's making her deal with her and so she does at one point try to negotiate a restoration but they can't secure a deal um you know it's this whole idea just the the religious question just won't go away so Mary tries to um take the throne back on the promise that she'll make Protestantism the official religion but it's kind of a no-go because they don't really trust her. And Elizabeth isn't able to secure the deal on Mary's behalf. Um, it also doesn't help that all of this led to a civil war in Scotland. So Scotland's busy. They're just trying to keep their house in order. They don't really want Mary to come back because that'll just gum up the works even more. And on top of this, the Catholics are rebelling in the north of England. So Elizabeth is really nervous because the Scots are up in arms with each other, but the Catholics are rebelling in the north of England, and if they were to band together, then Elizabeth is in danger. And Mary could certainly serve as a cause that they could rally around. And that's, as we know from Jane Grey and Elizabeth herself, that's just too dangerous. So this goes on for several, several years decades really and eventually Mary is arrested on suspicion of plotting against Elizabeth and the general consensus is that this is really entrapment um, Elizabeth's servant and advisor Walsingham tricks Mary into sending letters which expressed her support for the assassination of Elizabeth so he basically set it up so that Mary thought she had a loyal catholic servant who was going to deliver her letters and he just delivered them right to walsingham who read them and she's put on trial in 1586 for treason and found guilty but even so elizabeth is still in a tricky situation because now she's got a queen arrested for treason against elizabeth but elizabeth doesn't exactly know what she's supposed to do with her it's not a great precedent to set if she's going to execute her because again it goes back to this idea of queens and kings are supposed to be anointed by god and so if you behead them for treason 
what's to stop someone from coming and doing the same to Elizabeth. So it's really a sticky situation. She's also not sure of what the consequences would be because at this point, James is basically an adult in Scotland. And he might get angry if his mother is executed and come after Elizabeth. So finally, after going back and forth, in February of 1587, she signs Mary's death warrant. William Cecil, who was Elizabeth's right-hand man, essentially, he makes arrangements for the execution before Elizabeth can change her mind. So she signs the warrant, but she doesn't deliver it to anybody. But Cecil comes, takes it, takes care of business. Mary is beheaded on February 8th, 1587. And Elizabeth is furious. But again, it worked out in her favor. So what's she really going to do about it? And ultimately, it's hard to say if all of this could have been avoided. So there's no doubt that Mary would have continued to present a grave threat to Elizabeth's security if she had stayed on her throne. They, I mean, they may have ended up going to war. Who knows? And as they aged, Mary's position would have only been more secure as a result of her marriage and having an heir. Elizabeth had this cult of the Virgin Queen, but would that have been enough to keep her on her throne if you have Mary in Scotland with a son ready to march on England and take the legitimate Catholic throne? And the marriage that would have been advantageous, is that the one to Bothwell? Well, I'm talking about the fact that she had a marriage and produced an heir, where Elizabeth didn't have that at all. Okay. Um, No, I don't think either of those... Uh, husbands would have been useful to marry but she did get a son out of this what was her second marriage we also have to remember when we're talking about this is that you know I think we talk about this a lot too is history is written by the winners so Mary's decidedly the loser in this scenario and it's hard to separate fact from fiction so it's really clear that she made some bad decisions But for the time period, it's also hard to know exactly how much of that was in fact her decision. You know, she's a woman. She goes to France at the age of five. She gets married. She's told, you're the Queen of England. That's your throne. But then her husband dies and she's basically kicked back to Scotland. And she lands in Scotland and everybody says, well, now you're too Catholic. You're too French. You you have to do what we say. Otherwise, we're not going to support you for your throne. Then she marries a total loser who maybe she's swayed into having him killed. Maybe she had nothing to do with it. Who knows? And then and then she gets probably abducted and forced to marry another guy, and that leads to her abdication. It's hard to know. So I'm thinking either she just was a very poor judge of character or lacking in common sense, or more likely put her trust in the wrong people and ultimately didn't have the power to stop certain events from happening. And and it sounds to me like the Bothwell situation was her attempt to avoid this scandal of, you know, if she is dragged away and raped and then pregnant, like trying to, like she's not going to be seen as a victim in that scenario. It's going only going to look badly on her if she's giving birth to illegitimate children, right? Like a, a king can do that, no problem, but not a queen. Right, right. And it's hard to know, you know, it's just kind of interesting because I feel like Elizabeth avoided all of that by refusing to play the game, right? She just says, no, I'm going to be this almost cult-like virgin. People can 
you know, project things onto that blank slate. But I'm not going to marry and I'm not going to have an heir. And that's going to cause a lot of problems, but at least I'm safe. Whereas Mary tried to do what was expected and it just blew up in her face. And again, how much of that really could she have avoided because she she was trying to do what she thought was right um, and I think it's also this question of like queens even I mean we, we're even looking at a queen of England who rules this insanely amount of like long amount of time for the time period but also is still a woman who is constantly having to confirm her power and justify her place on the throne in a way that a man would never have to do and you know were Elizabeth to marry like Mary <laughs> to okay were Elizabeth to wed like Mary that's there we go she would be facing the same questions because for a woman unlike a king for a queen as soon as she has an heir she's delegitimized her own power because especially if it's a male heir like James well then everyone's looking to James as the future because now Mary is essentially ruling in this in the name of her infant son and her reign is now no longer her own right it's just a protection for the future yeah it's because women even as queens are not granted this idea of absolute power and authority it's just a placeholder and like we talked about before with mary the first of england it's only she's only brought to the throne because of this accident that there's only females lined up and even then, being the only recognizable living heir is a constant battle to not lose her power to her husband, to her children, all of that. It's not easy being a woman at this time, that's for sure. No, and I was thinking about this a lot because it's an interesting contrast. You know, we were talking about Elizabeth I ruling England for a long time and now Elizabeth II ruling longer than anyone. And I think she's only allowed to do that because the queen no longer rules England. So it's okay to give a woman this much power because it's a reign rather than a rule. Like her power isn't absolute or simply it's, there's no, it's not impactful. Yeah, I mean, Elizabeth's power basically rested on the fact that she made sure that the people wanted her to stay in power. And I think but I'm saying know. her power when she's ruling is effect, is absolute. Like she is ruling parliament and helping govern the country in a way that Elizabeth II is not being asked to do. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's like we love to say, oh, in modern times it's no problem. A woman is ruling. and But even in Victoria's time, you know, when she's ruling England as well, the idea of ruling as a monarch is fundamentally different than what it is during Elizabeth's time. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's... I so maybe we're not as modern and progressive in our thinking as we think we are. It's just a change of circumstances. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I that's mean, a like, very that, pessimistic like, spin on it, but I was really thinking about this, that maybe that's the answer. Well, I don't know if there is an answer, and that's the thing. It's like you never know like what could happen because what I think is really interesting about Elizabeth and Mary is that you have two women who are essentially in the same position, and their approaches are so completely different. And it's I'm not even clear like which one is the right approach because I think in a lot of ways 
Elizabeth got lucky because everybody was so relieved that Mary was gone. (laughs) And she also secured her own power at the expense of a succession. Exactly. And that's the choice that she made. And speaking of the succession, what's kind of interesting is that the whole time Elizabeth is afraid of Mary and the threat that she poses to her, but when it does come time for Elizabeth to name an heir, and I mean, she lived to be 70 years old, which is crazy. I mean, that's ancient. For that time, she like she may as well be Dumbledore. You know, she like lived yeah. forever. Um, but James the sixth, Mary's son, did become James the first of England. So when it all came down to it, Elizabeth did give him the throne. Who, yeah. Who knows? Maybe she felt bad. Maybe she felt like she had to make it up to Mary. I don't know. But uh, you know, it's kind of interesting for all the threat she of um, power that Mary posed to her. That's who she went to. So, so we've got five Tudor rulers in three generations yes and we've got the start of the Stuart line with James the first yes and I could have done we have talked about before yes <laughs> not James the first but the Stuarts yes the Stuarts because we just talked about Queen Anne and she was the last mm-hmm. Stuart um, who and I mean, she is directly descended from James the first yes and I could have done so much on Elizabeth but her reign was like 55 years long. I'm sure at some point we can come back to her because it was so long. There's so much to talk about and so many interesting avenues to explore. But I do think barring another three-part episode on her entire rule, there was no way to cover all of that. And this is a really interesting episode in her reign and also timely because if anyone is going out to watch the movie Mary versus Elizabeth, now there's a little bit more of the true history angle that we've given you yeah I think it's uh, pretty clear I should point out they never ever met I think a lot of people are making a big deal out of that because in that movie there's a scene where they have a face-to-face but they never actually met in real life so that's Elizabeth and Mary if anybody you know wants to hear about anyone else let us know I think who are we doing next week next week we are doing Empress Matilda so we're going all the way back to essentially the start of well not the start of the rule in England but the start of the Norman England so Matilda was the granddaughter of William the Conqueror so nice yeah we're going a ways back when they really didn't like women in power well does anybody I'm starting to wonder (laughs) that might still be the case yeah okay well yeah we will be back next week to talk about some earlier times in England I think is that the Middle Ages perhaps I think it is Um, yeah I think we could safely call that the Middle Ages yeah as back when they're still speaking French in England so we'll talk a little bit about I'm sure we'll talk well I'm sure I'll gloss over the Norman invasion a little bit but mostly we're going to focus on this woman's and her her attempt to validate her own claim to the throne and whether or not she was successful. It's a fun story. Um, I think that you could tell from my tone how successful she might have been. (laughs) So yeah, we'll be back for that. And we've got, I think, a few more still to come. That might be our last one for the end of the year, and then we'll come back in the new year. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. 
yeah, I don't know if we've really mapped out our airing schedule yet around the holidays, but we'll probably have more of a handle on that next time. Well, until then. Yep. Monarchast is produced by me, Allie. And me, Claire. And our logo is by Ryan Cooney. If you like our episodes and want to give us a shout out, please rate or review us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever your preferred method of podcast listening is. We really appreciate it.